Dr. Victor Manalo, and I am the Macro Social Worker. This is my podcast, The Macro Social Work Mentor. And as your mentor, I am here to help you to build your knowledge and understanding of the meso-macro space and to help you to build the necessary skills for you to engage in the meso-macro space. And I'm really excited about this episode. This is my fifth episode but we're really getting down into the meat of why I wanted to do a podcast and share with you my experience. This episode is entitled, Social Work is Political. And I am a social worker that is political. Let me tell you a little bit about my background in politics. Some of you may already know this. Maybe you looked at my website. Maybe you've uh, seen my posts on Instagram or on LinkedIn, but I am very involved in politics. I started out in the late 1990s. I was appointed a planning commissioner for the city of Artesia. And in 2007, I was elected to the Artesia City Council, where I served for nearly 12 years on the council. And I was honored to be selected by my colleagues on the city council to serve as the mayor of our city twice during that time. And I have have other political experiences and involvement, and I'm still involved in politics locally here um, in cities, as well as in Los Angeles County, and yes, even in the state of California, and also doing stuff across the nation, but I'm very much a political social worker. So I know that if you are like listening, if you're listening, not if you're like listening, you are listening, but if you're listening to this and uh, hopefully you are interested in hearing about why I think social work is political and sharing my experience with that, But if you're like many of my students who come into my policy class for the first day and I talk about my experience in politics and I tell them that much of what we're going to be talking about in class has to do with politics, they roll their eyes, they are shutting down, I can tell they're not listening to me anymore, and they freak out because they say, oh my God, this is is what this class is all about? I thought it was about policy. If policy class wasn't bad enough, we're actually going to talk about politics? What the heck? So I get a lot of those reactions. So what I've been doing over the last few years is really trying to delve into those reactions and get into those perceptions and preconceptions that students have about politics. And as I go around the room, go around the room and ask students about what they think about politics, um they give me the standard answers that I hear all the time. Politics is dirty. Politics is sleazy. Politics is corrupt. Uh, I don't care about politics. I don't pay much attention to politics. Those types of things. So, um, and those things, unfortunately, um, some of those things are true that politics can be dirty. Politics can corrupt people. And 
politics is sometimes sleazy. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be involved in it. As a matter of fact, I'll give you a couple of reasons why we should be involved in politics. Number one, because we are we see politics as a negative thing, and the thing that really upsets me is when my students say they don't care about politics and they don't want to get involved in politics. And I say to them, listen, you want to look at our code of ethics? Right? Our code of ethics says we have responsibilities to our broader society. And 6.04 says social and political action. Social workers should engage in social and political action. That means you have to be involved in politics. Okay, that's number one. You can't be a social worker and follow our code of ethics if you're not involved in any type of political action. Number one. Number two. Don't you think the people, these sleazy, dirty, corrupt people in politics, do you think they like the fact that you are not involved in politics? Of course they do. <laughs> because it helps them stay in power. It helps them stay in power. If all the good folks like us, good social workers with values and ethics stay out of politics, then the dirty and the corrupt and the sleazy people get to stay in. And they get to keep doing their dirty, sleazy, corrupt stuff. Now, mind you, I've been in politics for a long time. I have not met many people of the dirty, sleazy, corrupt type. I have met some. But most of the people that I know that are involved in their elected officials or involved in politics, they are good people trying to do the best that they can, just like everybody else. So I like to see politics in a more favorable light. And I think it's important for us to see it in a more favorable light. So for example, the definition, if I looked it up in the dictionary, which was actually Google, I Googled it, and I believe this is from, I don't remember where this came from, uh, a Merriam-Webster. Is it Merriam-Webster I got this from? Or no, this was from the Oxford, um, the Oxford um, Dictionary. And it says that um, politics are activities associated with the governance of a country or other area. Governance, okay? How do we govern ourselves? We're in a democracy, we govern ourselves. We have a form of government where we can participate and be active and involved in governing ourselves. So politics is really being involved in governing ourselves. And then the other part of the politics, the definition says that especially the debate or conflict among individuals or parties having or hoping to achieve power. Power is another piece of politics. And I think that's why, another reason why many of my students don't like politics or don't, aren't interested because it has to do with power. But I have to go back to Uncle Saul. You know I love Uncle Saul Linsky and what, what he wrote. But he wrote, 
The corruption of power is not in power, it's in ourselves. So can power corrupt people? Yes, if you are, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> but if you're susceptible to being corrupted, then you will be corrupted by power. That's the word I was looking for, if you're susceptible. But we have a defense. We have our code of ethics. We have our values. That strengthens us so that we cannot we can be more difficult for power to corrupt us. Okay? So, think about that. And know that you can be effective in politics. And you have to be because it's in our code of ethics. And I'll get to that later. But So that's kind of the, the prelude to my story about how I got into politics. Okay? And I think this, this will be instructive and hopefully will be helpful to you to understand why we need to get involved in politics. And if you had a chance to listen to my first episode, uh, the introduction to the podcast, where I talked about how I got involved in macro how I went from wanting to be a therapist and a licensed clinical social worker to all of a sudden deciding I wanted to get into macro social work. If you heard that episode, that's kind of where I'm starting uh, right after that, after I made my decision to go into macro social work, and that was in 1992 after the uprisings in Los Angeles as a result of the Rodney King verdict. Later on that year, in November of 1992, I had found out that there was a proposition that was going to be on the California ballot. It was called Proposition 165. And at the time, Proposition 165 was backed by then-Governor Pete Wilson. And it was best known at that time as the State Welfare Initiative. And basically, among other things, what Prop 165 attempted to do was to reform state welfare and to reshape, reshape the state's public assistance system by denying cash benefits to children born to mothers on welfare, by limiting, limiting the amount of aid that can be paid to new state residents, and by a 23% reduction in the cash benefits paid to most recipients. Okay, so what it's saying is that any women who came to California and children were born here, they would be denied cash benefits for their children. And if you were currently a resident in California, if this proposition passed, you would face a 23% reduction in your cash benefit. At that time, it was called AFDC, Aid to Families with Dependent Children. So now, why did that proposition, of course, 23% reduction in cash benefits? I mean, if you read that, you think, man, that is a huge reduction. That's really going to hurt people. But 
what it really did for me, it, it really pissed me off, this proposition. First of all, it pissed me off because at the time I was working in Child Protective Services here in Los Angeles County. And uh, Child Protective Services is called the, uh, co- the department is the Department of Children and Family Services. So I was working there and I had, I remember I was thinking about one of my clients and I knew how much she was getting from her AFDC payment. And I knew, and I had just was able to facilitate her to get her children back. She moved into a two-bedroom apartment with her children, and she was on AFDC. And I thought to myself, you know what? If this proposition passes and she, her AFDC check gets reduced by 23%, I don't know what's going to happen to her and what's going to happen to those kids because they will not be able to afford living in that apartment. That's going to be a big blow to that family who's just trying, struggling to stay together. And I was pissed that a governor would put this on the ballot, which was a direct a direct blow to not just the family I was working with, but to thousands of families who were struggling just like her in Child Protective Service System and in other systems throughout California. So I was pissed. So what did I do? Well, I knew I had to get active. I had to do something to try to defeat that proposition. Now, this was the, again, this was 1992, so there was no, no internet at the time, but so I had to kind of make phone calls and I had to figure out, okay, who's doing something about this? Is there anyone out there that's doing something against, to, to defeat this proposition? And I found a group that was doing it. So I called up and I said, I volunteered. I said, I want to help defeat this proposition. So I went out. I found one that was close to where I was working so that after work I could go and volunteer. And they taught me how to walk a precinct, how to knock on doors and talk to people, how to read a list of registered voters and know who I was talking to. Um, I, I learned... Um, how to uh, get out the vote when it came time to vote. But I did all these really cool things and I was learning. I was like, I was on the ground. I was learning. I was knocking on doors and learning. You know, one of the things I learned was that, you know, don't spend time arguing with somebody. If someone did was in favor of that proposition, don't spend time arguing with them because for every one person that is against you, the net, there are other people there waiting who are undecided or don't know about the proposition. Those are the people that you want to reach. Okay? So I learned how to do that. 
and wow, I put, I put a lot of time into it. Um, I spent a lot of time knocking on doors and talking to people. And then came election day. And I remember I learned, they gave me a precinct, you know, the precinct that I was walking, uh, I had to go to the polling place for that precinct. And I learned how to get people out to vote. And this is really cool because with the list of registered voters that I had, so when I'd go around and talk to people, if someone said yes, they would vote against, that they would vote against Prop 165, right? Because I, I was working on the no on 165 campaign. So if someone said, yeah, I will vote against 165, then I would mark their name on my list. So by the time I finished walking all these, you know, walking my precinct, I had a list of people who had said to me that they would vote against the proposition. So on election day, my job was to go to the precinct and outside of every precinct, they put a list of all the registered voters in that precinct and they every so often they mark off the people they cross off the people who have already come in to vote so i would go check at the precinct you know every couple of hours i would go to the list and and i'd have to go to the, go and check but what i did first thing in the morning when the polls opened i brought donuts i brought donuts for the for the poll workers to thank them for the work that they were doing. And that was also so that they wouldn't hassle me when I came back to look at the at the uh, the voting lists to see who had voted or not. So I would go back and check the list. And I would check my list first. And I'd say, oh, Mrs. Smith, I wonder if she voted. And I'd flip the page and I'd see the, the line across her name and say, okay, she voted. Then I'd go to the next name. I wonder if Mr. Jones voted. Then I'd, I'd go look look up Mr. Jones, and he didn't vote, or he did vote. Then I remember seeing that there was one person on my list that didn't vote, and it was already late. The The polls closed at 8. I don't know what time it was, but it, you know I, I remember it was getting pretty dark. So I went over to her house. I knocked on the door and she answered. I said, hey, you remember me? My name is Victor. I talked to you a few weeks ago about voting against uh, Proposition 165. Well, today's a voting day and you need to get out and vote. And she's like, I've never voted before. She was like 18 years old and she hadn't voted before. And she, she said, I don't even know where the polling place is. And I said, well, my car's out there. Do you want to get in my car and, <laughs> and I'll take you to the polling place? I wasn't really thinking, was I? But I said, yeah. So she got in my car and we went over there. Now, you cannot talk to people about voting within, I can't remember the number of feet, but outside of a polling place. So I had to give her all the stuff in the car and then I had to drop her off and say, okay, I can't talk to you anymore. Go in and vote. And I swear she spent at least a half an hour in there voting. It was so amazing, and I was so excited 
to facilitate and help this 18-year-old young woman to vote for the first time. And she voted no on 165. So that's what I did all day, election day. And what happened? The results came in. 47% voted yes on the proposition. And a resounding 53% voted no. 53% voted no on that proposition. And I was like, oh my God, hallelujah. All that hard work that I put into it. And there were hundreds of people doing this. It wasn't just me, obviously. I don't know how much I had to do with it. But I contributed. That I know. That I contributed to the effort to get 53% of the electorate to vote no against this proposition that would devastate children and families up and down the state of California. So by getting active and being successful, I was, I, you know, after what happened to me, you know, how I changed to be more macro and I got involved in this, I said, okay, this is why I'm getting involved in politics. Because what I was doing, as I found out later, I was following the Code of Ethics. It says in 6.02 of our Code of Ethics, public participation. Social workers should facilitate informed participation by the public in shaping social policies and, and institutions. I was facilitating participation. I was getting people to participate in voting. And there's so much more that we can do to inform participation. And that, I'll tell you more about that in, in, in future episodes. Then, of course, 6.04, social and political action, which I mentioned earlier. Social workers should engage in social and political action that seeks to ensure that all people have access to the resources, employment, services, and opportunities they require to meet their basic needs and to develop fully. This proposition was going to deteriorate the resources and cut off the resources and opportunities they needed. So I'm glad that I got involved. So my friends, my fellow social workers, that is why we need to be involved politically. We all know that there, there are laws, policies, regulations out there that are hurting our clients, are preventing us social workers from doing the jobs that we need to do to help people, are not, uh, are, where our government is not providing the infrastructure, the investment into our communities that our clients need to be able to develop as empowered fully and, and to have um, choice and agency to improve their lives. That's why we need to get involved. It's so important. That's why social work is and must be political. I do plan on spending future episodes on all this political stuff. So do not fear. But in the meantime, if you have any questions or you want me to address any questions on my podcast or you want to chat with me, 
hey, I'm open to it. I am all about helping you to be more active on the not only in the mezzone macro level, but especially on the political level. So that's the end of the podcast for today. I hope you found my podcast on Apple Podcasts. I'm so excited that I finally got on Apple Podcasts. You could also continue to access my podcast on my website, Victor Manalo, the macro social worker. And I'm working on getting it uh, on other sites as well um, to make it easier for all of you to access. So I'd love to get your feedback on my podcast. So please go to my website, give me your comments and suggestions for future podcasts. Um, If you want access to resources that I talk about or you have any questions, again, I'd be happy to chat with you. Please go to my website, The Macro Social Worker, and send me an email. I'm also on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. You can um, send me messages through LinkedIn and Instagram as well. So once again, thank you so much, social work colleagues and social work students and anyone that's out there listening This is Dr. Victor Manalo. I am the Macro Social Worker, and this is my podcast, The Macro Social Work Mentor. Remember what Uncle Saul wrote. To me, ethics is about doing what is best for the most. Take care, everyone. See you next time.